The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to the second part of my four-part mini-series regarding data quality. This series is sponsored by Imperium, and the main mission of this mini-series is essentially to bring other leaders from other industries, adjacent industries, to share their best practices, some of the challenges that they face, how they navigate the client conversation as it relates to data quality. Sole purpose for us is to be able to take away learnings, draw parallels, and ultimately help us drive our industry forward. In this episode, I speak with Anders Ekman, who is the president of V12. Take a listen. Today, I'm joined by two gentlemen, Charlie O'Leary, who's the CEO of Imperium, and Anders Ekman, who's president of V12. Welcome, you guys. Good morning. Thanks, Seema. So we are on a mission to understand data quality. And Anders, thanks for taking the time to share a little bit more about your business and letting us learn a little bit more from your industry as it relates to data quality. But let's start off by understanding your business. What does V12 do? V12 is a company that combines data and technology to deliver marketing outcomes for clients. Interestingly enough, per the topic of the podcast here, we started our life as a data quality software company and have grown as data has grown and customer engagement has become more complex into what we are today, which is a company that uses much more data, many more technologies to kind of harness all the complex interactions that uh, consumers have with businesses. And we try to give our clients uh, sort of an unfair advantage to understand what those consumers are up to and how they can best serve them. So give us an example of how a client would interact with your services. Sure. We have a whole range of products and services that help them both manage their own client or customer relationships. That happens both in our Velocity CDP, customer data platform, where clients have sort of an omni-channel customer view around what their customers are all about, what they are up to, and how they can you know, best monetize the relationship while serving them well. But we don't stop there because prospecting is, of course, as important as managing customer relationships. So we are evolving this uh, prospective client of ours gets credit for this moniker. Our CDP platform is becoming a PDP or a prospect data platform because we believe that customer management and the acquisition of new customers ought to happen sort of as a synergistic whole. So in our platform, our clients can get a, an omni-channel view of their own customers and all of the characteristics that they would want to understand. And also our data and the capability of the platform also give them a view into who their next best prospects are 
who's out there in the universe, what prospects look like a good customer for our clients. And then we kind of top all of that off with a data set or a data product, which is all about telegraphing consumer intent. That product is called B12 Signals. And what we've done there is uh, harness behavioral data from mobile location and online browsing, connect that to actual people, names and addresses. And so when you've got this stack, the technology, the data foundation, and then in the market intent, you've really got a nice combination of the ability to understand who you're talking to and who you want to go talk to, but then really understand what they're up to and what they're looking for or shopping for in the moment so that you can capitalize on that behavior. Lastly, all of this puts a lot of pressure on data quality. And, you know, just even listening to myself talking about all of these different kinds of data, it does kind of put a fine point on, I think, some of the issues that a lot of our clients and Seema, a lot of your constituents out there and a lot of Charlie's clients deal with every day in keeping all of this really complex data straight and addressable so that it can actually go to work in the way that our clients expect it to. It's amazing. It sounds like a really robust suite of offerings and technology platform to be able to manage so much data in kind of under one platform. Yeah, it requires both a lot of tools and a lot of data sets, but it also requires a lot of people power. And it's been great as we've had to evolve and our company is a private equity owned company. So all of this transformation has really happened over the last five years. The thing that's best about it is our people, our professionals have not only kept up, they've really driven sort of continual advancement as even in that five-year period, data has changed dramatically. I don't need to tell you that, but you know we're really on the front lines of this stuff. And yeah, it's almost relatively easy to assemble a bunch of capabilities such as I talked about, but the fact that our people have been able to really lead the charge and stay out there at the tip of the spear and kind of driving the innovation that we need to has been maybe the best thing. And typically when you're selling to customers, what titles are you selling to, if you will, to within brands or end clients? That is a great question. And that's kind of changed too, and a little bit another emblem of how we see the marketplace changing. So we started off, as I said, as a data quality software company and grew both both organically and via acquisition over this last five or six year period. Where we started was largely selling into technology professionals. And, you know, within that sort of category, there were a whole host of them. There are very few people in corporate America with data quality titles, although I suspect there may be more now, but that the titles really did range. But what you see now is marketers continuing to kind of take over the technology stack that is related to marketing. Marketers are now, at least in our world, much more focused on the data the quality of that data and how data and technology mesh to deliver the outcome. So not only have all the sets of data that we're dealing with change and our technologies have changed, the constituents that we're serving and our clients are really starting to change too. And it's not that IT isn't involved anymore. They absolutely are. But really marketers, what we've seen have really kind of stepped up and become much more technology literate 
and keyed in to the issues of data quality and addressability over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, definitely the marriage of marketing and tech seems to continue to evolve. Just as you said, with the platforms, the proliferation of data, but then obviously to take action on that data, it definitely requires the marketing folks to be involved as well. Yeah, and here's where technology is now kind of moving. And this this is all sort of a natural evolution for us. You know, if you've got more data at your disposal, that's complex in and of itself. Now that data is accelerating in its speed and availability, you know, if you're now in the behavioral data business, you've all of a sudden got, you know, billions of interactions coming at you kind of all at once. Technology, you know, marketers, people just don't have the ability to react to that kind of input as quickly as they would like. None of us do. And so our platforms have had to evolve into a much more automated read and react kind of mode. If we see a behavior like this, then the customer journey needs to be like that. And that's kind of been the big change that marketers had to go through. You know, that it used to be not so long ago that we could do the batch and blast, you know, just identify a target audience, communicate to them en masse, even through sort of direct channels, and that would be fine. Now we're seeing sort of audiences get down to kind of the atomic level. You know, it's one person that you have to manage that experience for. And that's where, you know, we're having the data come at us, but our technologies are now really playing a much more central role in not only data quality, but automating the follow-up and automating the customer journey that those in-the-moment, in-the-market customers demand. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, all of us are witness to the acceleration of technology and machine learning and algorithms and kind of creating some programmatic or automatic ways of executing on different business functions. I'm curious, when you sell your platform in or your services in, how much of the conversation is behind the scenes? Like, actually, how do you tie this data together? What's your science behind it to really understand the value of what you bring to the table? Yeah, that's a really great question. We're going through a process with a prospective client right now. And I have to say, this is all due credit to them. They are keyed in to all of those questions, Seema, you know, like precisely where does this stuff come from? How are you keeping it fresh and up to date? Tell us that not, you know, don't show us the algorithms that link data elements together. But this is shocking to me. And this is a retailer we're talking about. These folks, even up to the CEO, who we had a two-hour call with one day about data quality, are keyed into these issues in a way that I've never seen a marketer be keyed into them before. So, of course, like in anything else, there's this huge range of folks who take it on faith that all of this is good, but increasingly, even marketers who you know, are kind of coming late to the party on some of this stuff are truly just dialed in to kind of the depth and detail that, I mean, they probably need to have the whole thing be a success. Yeah. I mean, you know, in many times, I think I've heard that it feels as, as if there's a black box that sits behind all the technology. And truly to understand the quality of the platform or the quality of a service is to, like you said, not to understand the specific linkages, but it's more about the practices and the approaches and the framework of thinking as you build that machine learning and algorithms. 
Right. Delegation to the ad agency, which is how most marketers used to do their job, seems like a long time ago, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it is. And it actually really wasn't. Yeah, but we're in this mode, especially as, you know, there's a generational change in the CMO chair and things like that. You really see this kind of natural technology and data and communications linkage kind of coming out of the mouths of our clients now in a way that is just great to watch because like any of us in the you know service business or providing services to marketers, the better they are, the better we're going to be. Just sort of throw it over the wall, kind of works for a little bit of time, but never really uh, has any staying power. So true. So let's talk about data quality evaluation or measurement from your perspective of the world. How do clients measure data quality around the services and products you provide? Yeah, a great question. So it used to be, and this is, again, I'm talking less than 10 years ago. It used to be that the unit of measure here was basic name and address and simple attribute matching. Did data set one match up to data set two? And what were the match rates that happened there? And that those kinds of measures were kind of the indicator of at least initial quality. And then you put it out in the market, typically, you know, in the mail or something like that. And if you had a bunch of return mail, then you knew you had a problem. But, uh, you know, it was kind of very simple. It was much more easy to sort of get a handle on. Now, with omni-channel data, with digital data, you really kind of lose the thread <laughs> a little bit. There's overall marketing effectiveness and there are, you know, kind of these matching metrics that still matter. But really, we're now in the world of marketing outcomes because sometimes it's really easy to lose the thread on quality. If you're merging together digital data sets at billions of records, that's really hard, particularly given some of the, you know, kind of opaque nature of the digital advertising ecosystem and fraud. I mean, you've heard about all this stuff. It's often very hard to really understand. So really our safe haven and our client safe haven winds up being marketing effectiveness, return on marketing investment, basic things like that. And certainly these more operational metrics, you know, did the data sets match and you know, did my emails bounce or did I get return mail or whatever it is, those still matter. But it's a whole host of much more complex metrics that I think of necessity need to kind of raise up a level and be more about effectiveness than exact quality, because that's an increasingly difficult thing to measure in the digitally dominated ecosystem that we live in. So essentially, the measure of data quality is truly the outcome of what you're doing, right? Conversion, basically. Is that correct? It is. And because that's what our experience with clients these days, you know, where they used to be super locked in on these operational metrics, as we talked about, that was fine, right? That was easy to kind of understand. Now, what we see is marketers are kind of besieged by a vendor here, a data set there, a technology over there. They are literally spending all of their time managing outsourced vendors and, you know, new vendors trying to get in touch with them and their bosses and things like that. They really kind of lost the ability to manage market or to actually perform the art and science of marketing. So they're increasingly turning to companies like ours to deliver me that outcome. I got so much going on here. I can't be concerned with all of these interim operational things 
yeah, I'm going to look at a set of them, but really I need fewer vendors that blend things together that are going to get feet in my store or clickers onto my website or converters or whatever it is. Sure. And that is increasingly the measure to which we're being held. Got it. Okay. So now I'll ask a different question about quality. Internally, you guys probably have a series of metrics that you look at that could predict what conversion could look like based on the quality of those other metrics. Yep. That is true. There's no question. I mean, we look at it and our clients do too. This, this is, you know, I don't mean to say they're just delegating everything to us, but it really becomes metrics around other kinds of outcomes, click metrics, response metrics, things like that. And yes, there are matching metrics and scale metrics and all of that that sort of go into the data on the way to that. But really, as I said, because digital data is so truly hard to get a handle on. It's got to be some things that, are, you know, at least are on the way to an outcome, if not the outcome itself. That makes sense. What do you see as it relates to investment in quality? So you have the internal processes, you have match rates, you have other types of measures that ultimately will drive to that outcome. Are you seeing that you have to make even more of an investment to drive those metrics? Is it pretty steady What's your framework about thinking about that? So the technologies themselves, matching technologies and data integration technologies and things like that, do kind of escalate in levels in our experience every few years. Okay. So we're in a kind of a good place there. What we are, and I'm sure this is not a surprise, our investments are in storage <laughs> and processing power <laughs> and things like that. Those investments seem to have no end to them. <laughs> and because I think, you know, the kinds of data that we're matching now are known, right? We're in this world where we've got digital identities matched to physical identities matched to other kinds of identities. That's sort of at a good point at this point. But really, it, our focus and our investment is in speed and processing power and storage and things like that because the way the data gets used is much more real time and the data you know just has to be much more available at all times as opposed to the way it was again even five years ago where okay we're going to do a scrub and a refresh and all of that and we'll be back to you in two weeks that you know that doesn't hold water anymore. That world is yeah. over. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> what do you see as the future as it relates to data quality, as it relates to the integration of data sets? Do you see a shift in any way? Is it ever going to be 100% perfect? Like, what's your perspective? In marketing, I doubt it. And actually, I think I don't have any metric that looks at this. But, you know, I think we've gone through a period now with all of this digital proliferation where the quality of marketing data has actually, the quantity has gotten greater and the quality has gotten worse. Just as in the total aggregate, again, I go back to sort of the digital ecosystem as being sort of the culprit here. I mean, ultimately, it'll be a good thing. But if you think about it, a media buyer goes into a programmatic platform and has to choose data that is evaluated only based on its name or, you know, literally its alphabetical standing in a pull-down menu. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the level we're at. So I think over time, that quantity, the proliferation and the growth of quantity may not slow down necessarily. But I do think that we definitely see an increased focus on quality. Now, this is 
probably more in the telling than it is in some ability to measure. But if you just look at the programmatic data ecosystem as one great example, at least the questions are coming up now about quality. And it's not sort of the technical aspects of quality as we might know them, but it is more around, tell me about where this data comes from. What sort of fidelity does it have? How can you assure us that we're not just buying junk? Because literally, I think, particularly in digital, it's still the Wild West in terms of the kinds of data that's available. So at least the questions are getting asked. And I think that, back to your question, I think there will be in not such a long period of time that we ultimately evolve to some sort of metrics or standards around these new kinds of data sets that do provide some sort of standard measure of quality. One company that is, just as an example, that's sort of out there trying to at least provide a level of visibility and level the playing field in programmatics, a company called Heinlein Math. And they're a great example of new kinds of technologies and players coming into a system that is really, really opaque and really, really mysterious. And they're not focused on quality per se, but they're focused on identifying the most successful providers of that data ultimately where they will go, you know, they're just trying to give visibility to buyers as to who's buying what, you know, what's good out there. Ultimately, I think they will, you know, be one of those companies that provides sort of a standard around, you know, what good data is and what it isn't. Hey, Anders, one of the questions that you mentioned that customers are asking you is where you originate the data from. And they seem to be asking questions about how you process it because they're trying to find like a proxy for that, you know, quality metric. Are there, you know, table stakes, things you have to say? Are there things that if you said them would automatically rule you out because they just assume that means bad quality? I don't know that there are hard rules around that. But, you know, as people get more educated about this stuff, they are now becoming more educated about sourcing. You know, the more providers that they investigate, the more educated they become about sourcing and just the body language, if you will, (laughs) of data providers. And I think if, you know, what we try to do in our business is provide, and we do this, we provide a document around every data set that we market that is, quote unquote, a sourcing document. And it doesn't reveal our sources necessarily, but gives enough detail on the kinds of sources and the sorts of processes that we put the data through so that we're viewed as a credible source. There are a lot of people, Charlie, to your question, out there who don't provide that visibility. And as you know, in the data business, there's a lot of data flying around that is, you know, suspect. how shall I say, <laughs> not ethically procured and things like that. And, I, you know, I think clients are becoming more aware of that, even though it's still a little bit of a wild west. The more transparency you give, the more detail you can offer, you're more credible. And it's not like they're going to run off and recreate these products that you've, you know, spent years developing, (laughs) you just become a better partner, the more transparent you are like anything else. In some ways, I also feel like those suspect data providers, yes, at first they might create some havoc, but they actually, I believe, make clients and the industry more aware of what better quality is because they can compare it to something that's not good quality. Right. So true. And this is not a, well, this was sort of a data company and I won't name who it is, but a company in our space recently went out of business because of unethical practices. Sort of everything just wound up catching up to them and they were 
not only in the data business, they were in the email business. And when you're not able to deliver any email because all of the ISPs believe that your data is junk and things like that, the marketplace sort of catches up to you. So yeah, I think the marketplace does have a way of sort of fixing all of this stuff over time. But again, it's still really opaque and we're all sort of trying to find that standard that gives us an easier way to answer your question, Seema. <laughs> How do you evaluate data quality? And I, we're in a kind of a period where the market needs to catch up a little bit. It makes perfect sense. Anders, I appreciate you taking the time. Charlie, I appreciate you taking the time and kind of joining the different pieces of our industry and the market research industry, and as well as learning, Anders, from you, some of the practices and challenges that you're dealing with as it relates to data quality. Thank you so much. Anytime. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. This episode particularly resonated for me in that data quality is all about the use case. And for Anders' business, you know, it was particularly important to be able to provide nearly real-time data. And in order to do that, they had to make tremendous investments in processing power and storage to be able to deliver the quality data that that clients are, are really yearning for. It's interesting, we talked about the fact that, you know, we're probably at the very early stages in terms of the amount of data that we have access to and that we can process. And so in a world in the future, we'll have more data and obviously we're going to have less perfect quality data. And we're going to have to balance, you know, the need of accessibility and really what the use case is for some of this information or data that we're collecting. It makes me think that, you know, when we think about the online data collection world and the quality conversations we're having there relative to some of these other industries where it's really, we're talking about digital data, there's trade-offs on both sets. And it's really about being smart as it relates to the use case and being proactive. I mean, I think bottom line is we as an industry can certainly manage and navigate the conversation more effectively and also be able to start creating different frameworks as it relates to data quality. The other piece that I thought was really encouraging is that marketers are now not taking things for granted in terms of what's going on and behind the scenes as it relates to the data quality processing. What are the assumptions, the frameworks that people or companies are using to be able to provide that good quality data? Because obviously, you need to know what you're looking at. You need to have relative context to understanding what data you're going to consume ultimately and apply to a business decision. I will leave you with that. So I did want to make a couple of quick announcements. I did want to share Imperium, who is the sponsor of this mini-series, is offering a free and fast data clinic. If you want to understand how your data compares to industry metrics, it's completely free to get a quick assessment. All you have to do is visit their website at www.imperium.com. Please don't forget to tune in to next week's episode. I speak with Bill Reinstein, who is the CEO of MedData Group, and we talk more specifically about data quality as it relates to the healthcare space, which obviously everybody knows is highly regulated, and some of the nuances that they have to manage too. Also, if you haven't listened to the other parts of the miniseries, we still, you know, they're all out there. Definitely catch up on episode one of this miniseries where I talked to Matt Stout, and he manages over 196, I believe, data sets, both traditional alternative, and he speaks to how he manages it and how client, what the client expectations are as it relates to those different data sets. As I was preparing for this series, I actually ended up seeing a really cool quote that I think applies to all of us, and it's by Mark Twain. Here it is. It's, data is like garbage. You better know what you're going to do with it before you collect it.
I think that's so true for us, right? Again, we're in this, we're in like this golden era of data and it's all fantastic until you actually sit down and figure out, wait, why do I have this? What am I using it for? What's my threshold in terms of its imperfection, if you will? See you back next week. We will be back with episode three. Until then, peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.